You're listening to the DCC Sermon Podcast. For more information on Dayton Christian Center, you can visit dcctx.church. Now let's join in for this week's message. Well, every uh, everybody that's on this front row is at fault for why I do what I do. <laughs> and quite frankly, if my banker or my accountant knew y'all were in town, they'd probably be here to ask y'all a lot of questions. <laughs> but uh, I, can, uh, I can say I've, you know, I've never wanted to be a bore outer, but I've always had a hero. And uh, not because of what he was, but who he is. And uh, I just want y'all to honor Terry Holland as he comes. <laughs> I could have done it without doing that, but I can't help myself. It's so incredible to be here. I wasn't ready for young Josh there. <clears throat> Praise God. There's so many good friends we have here today, and I'm so thankful to get to come and, and share my story. I'm going to wear my hat. Some people flew me to Nebraska one time to speak at a believers conference, and I had gotten there early. <clears throat> Some of my friends won't believe that, but uh, <clears throat> they had advertised, I suppose, that Terry Holland, a pro bull rider, was going to be one of the guest speakers. And this elderly lady walks up to me. She said, I drove 75 miles to hear what you got to say because I thought. You are a real cowboy, and you don't have a hat on, so you're obviously not a real cowboy. I said, but I am a real cowboy. She said, you would have a hat on. She was literally so disappointed. I said, well, I didn't know it would be appropriate or not. I left it in the hotel room. and She said, well, you go and do what you're going to do. I'll stay. So then, all I could feel like everybody thought that. So, one thing Terry Holland's going to do from now on, I will be in full costume. If I go somewhere and they're offended by my hat, the pastor will ask me to take it off, and I will take it off, but uh, I obviously never got over that. I'm so... Uh, proud of David and Wendy. I always say this in a good way. And, and with y'all's permission, um, I will applaud the praise and worship team um, for, yeah, for, for what they do. It's always the same when I come here. I forget why I'm here. I mean, I, and all of a sudden I'm up here and I go, whoa, it's so good. And it ministers to me and my family. And we, we wish we were closer. Psalms 145. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another, 
and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. My story, I had to share what happened to me, kind of like what Josh said, when I was a little boy, because um, it's what defined me. Um, my daddy, um, Leland Holland, was the president of the Panola County Cattlemen's Association, and we put on a professional rodeo every summer in Carthage, Texas. And this would have been back in the mid-60s. And uh, I would find myself, of course, with my daddy. I shattered him. I loved what he did. He farmed. He ranched. And I loved what he did. And I was only one of the boys that he had that went on and imitated him and did what he did. And so, uh, but y'all, I, I fell in love with, with rodeo and especially bull riding. And um, I remember when I was five years old, uh, back in the old days, to enter or to sign up to compete at a professional rodeo, you would call in. It was really hard. It, According to the old timers, to just to compete at a rodeo, you had to just call a landline and just try to get in, and and uh, and they would. Now it's all it's even more modern than when, you know, we were doing it. It's it's emails and all kinds of crazy stuff now, and, and uh, you know, there's a there's a entry app, uh, but pre-entry app. Aaron in Carthage, Texas, they set up a rodeo office in Joe's Cafe. And so my daddy was going to go down there, I think, on like a Wednesday night. And he said, told my mama, he said, I'm going to run down there to the rodeo office and see how the entries are going. And uh, he knew that my other brothers wouldn't want to go. He said, Terry, you want to go? I said, is Jim Shoulders going to be there? Because Jim Shoulders was the stock contractor. And he's a legendary 16 times world champion cowboy. And just to put Jim Shoulders in perspective, I'll pause here just a moment. <laughs> I do a few weddings occasionally, and people said, do you counsel them? I said, yeah, you know, I tell them a couple things. I ask them what I tell them. I tell every boy. They're usually rodeo kids. I mean, they're rodeo people. They're getting married. Did I perform the wedding? I said, son, if your wife don't know who Jim Shoulders is, don't marry her. <laughs> and they go, you kidding? I said, well, tell her who he is explain what he is so that we're going to do this on March the 20, whatever it is. I said, so that's what Jim Shoulders means to me, just so y'all got it in perspective. And so my daddy says, you want to go? I said, Jim Shoulders going to be there? He said, yeah, it's a rodeo. He'll be there. I said, I'm going. I go with my daddy. I walk in. I'll never forget it. I knew what was going to happen. I was going to get to meet Jim Shoulders for the first time. And as we walked in that cafe, Jim Shoulders stood up and had that old hat shaped like only he had a hat shaped, kicked back on the back of his head. And he said, hello, Leland. He said, who you got with you? And I stuck my hand out, and my daddy goes, tell him who you are. And man, I'd been Terry Holland for five years, but I could not remember <laughs> who I was. And my daddy goes, this is my boy, Terry. So he said, hey, Terry, you want to sign up in the bull ride? And I said, yes, sir, man, I did. I mean, I really would have. And so, and so that got me. And so anyway, we'd be at the rodeo, you know, and by the time I would say seven or eight, especially probably about eight years old, um, 
And, and this is why I'm so messed up still to this day. So anyway, y'all, I studied those bulls, and when the bulls would come to town on Jim Shoulder's big old truck, and he'd back that old truck up there, and sh -sh -sh, you know, and, and then start letting them bulls come down that ramp. Man, I'd see them, and I just, man, it gets me right now. I'd see old Big Bad John and old Grim Reaper and, and, and Batman and Robin and all them old great bulls, and down that ramp they'd go, and I'd follow them around, and I'd, I'd watch them, and, and when they'd buck them at a rodeo, a lot of y'all know that they have certain tendencies and certain habits, and they buck in a certain pattern, and most of the great bulls kind of do the same thing every time. There's exceptions, but I would... Um, just as I ate here, I would study these bulls, and I knew them better than the cowboys, and it wasn't unusual. I would hang around with those cowboys, and um, the rodeo, you know, be going on and getting started and stuff, and guys are going, which one you got? What bull you got? And I'm just right there with them. And, uh, and I'm listening, because I know them, and I know that I know them, and I know that I know the bulls better than any of these cowboys. I'm just waiting for my chance. And uh, they go, what's certain bull, you know, for example. And then, and then uh, I remember there's a guy that said, there's a little boy around here somewhere. And he said, he's, he's just a little old boy. And he said, he knows these bulls. And I kid, right here, man. I, <laughs> present. I said, present, you know. And I said, uh, and it, they laughed, big funny. And so I said, well, which one you got? He said, Andy Cap. I said, Andy Cap, it's a chopped off horned tiger stripe ball faced brindle bull. He's going to turn back and spin right in the gate to the left. And in about four seconds, if you're still on him, which you won't be, he'll reverse the spin. <laughs> and they quit laughing. And it, I did that a few times, it would come to pass, you know. So I'm hanging out there with my daddy. I think Bull Riding's probably going to say, Daddy, I'm eight years old. I said, Daddy, please, you know. In spite of my mama's wishes, you know, Daddy, that I'm going to be a bull rider for the rest of my life, and I've got to get started. Jim Shoulders is your friend. You beg him. You do whatever you got to do. But I have to ride a bull. I have to get started quick because it's a small window. I didn't say that. I said, but i got to get going. And, and my, my daddy looked at me. It was a ridiculous request. I'm a little bitty boy. And them bulls were probably weighed 1,800 pounds on the average and big and rank and and, but, but I'm going to tell y'all, I knew I could, you know, when I was eight years old. I don't know if you remember when you were eight, <laughs> but, and my daddy looked at me and he said, I don't know if y'all ever heard anything like this, but he said, Terry, son, he said, when you're grown, you can do anything you want to do. He said, but until you're grown, you ain't riding no bulls. Man, it crushed me, but I honored my daddy and I waited, I waited, and I waited and finally I was grown. I was about 10 and we was up. <laughs> working a set of cows there in the pens behind the house. I had all the cows and the old herd bulls up in the calves. And my mama was gone to the grocery store, which was a big plus. I said, Daddy, mama's gone. That's how I started every conversation with my daddy. Because <clears throat> if somebody was more scared of my mama than me, it was my daddy. So I said, Daddy, mama's gone. I said, let's run one of them old bulls in there. Let me ride with them bulls. He said, Terry, he said, our we done talked about this. Our bulls weigh 1,800 pounds. I can't let you get on one of these bulls. I said, let me ride a cow. I ain't picky. I said, I'll ride a cow. <clears throat> and uh, he said, Terry, our cows are big. We have some big old crossbred cow. He weighed 1,300, 1,400 pounds. He said, they're too big for you. And we just had finished working this little heifer calf. She weighed about 350 pounds. And she's in the chute. We had actually a, a side delivery gate, which you could, kind of like at a rodeo ring, it would open up after you doctored a cow or something, you could let them out. And this, this calf was 
standing in that chute. And when I say we worked her, we just had ear tagged her, ear notched her, vaccinated her a couple times, dewormed her. So she's having like a really bad day, okay? <laughs> and she is more than stirred up. And my daddy says, you get a rope on this calf right here. He said, we fixing to get this bull riding out of your system. Y'all, my hands are getting sweaty right now, but I got an old half-rotten lead rope off an old horse halter. I tied a knot in the end of it, put a loop in it, and man, I went to getting it around this heifer calf. And I mean, I'm sitting on her and I'm thinking, man, she ain't even a bull. She's like a girl. And I said, well, her daddy was a bull. That's good enough for me. I said, I ain't going to blow it on a technicality. And I get this rope. My friends have heard me tell this. Does this bore y'all hearing this again? I said, anyway. I get this rope around her, and, this, and, I, and I sit down on her, man, and my old daddy, he's going to open the gate, you know, when I'm ready, and, and, uh, and I, man, I pull it up tight by myself. Nobody's pulling it. Uh, I got no Brazilian pulling my rope. I'm pulling it all by myself, and it just begins to crackle like, well, that's tight enough, I'm thinking, you know, like it might break. And I get me a grip, and I've seen these cowboys do this at, the, at Jim Shoulders Rodeo my whole life. And, and uh, I, I scooted up there, and I had said this a thousand times, but I got to say it for real. When cowboys wanted the gate to be open, they would holler, outside. I took a deep breath, and as loud as I could, I screamed, outside. And my daddy cracked that latch, and that little heifer, she went back, and she jumped as high as my daddy's head. <laughs> and to tell you how long I stayed on her, I hit the ground before she did. <laughs> that is dead gum quick. I hit the ground so hard, my mouth was wide open. I was halfway through saying outside, I'm still hollering side, and bam, and uh, my mouth scooped up stuff that would have been in there, and, uh, and then I hit the ground so hard it knocked my breath out. And man, I went to making them sounds, you know, like you do when, you, when you, you're uncontrollably like in bad shape, and I'm, and I'm moaning, I'm making them sounds, you know, my daddy is walking back and forth, and he's thinking, where is he going to sleep, you know, for like the next three or four days if something happened to the youngest, most precious son, favorite son. And so he got down there, man, and he did not know what to do. And I'm going, ah! And he, finally he undid my britches. I'll never forget it. And I went, ah! And I could breathe. And then I saw the relief in my daddy's eyes, and he grabbed me by my little T-shirt, and he pulled me up about six inches from his face. He said, Terry, he said, son, are you all right? I said, Daddy, that's the most fun I've ever had in my life. I said, it's pretty much where it all started. That's why I became what I am. Um, Y'all, I did everything I could do. I had a bucking barrel. We bucked stuff when my mama would go to the beauty shop every Friday at 4 o'clock. This is when I got a little bigger, you know, I wasn't so little, but um, uh, my mama, of course, was a little bitty woman, but a huge obstacle in my rodeo career. And, uh, <laughs> and y'all don't go do what I did, but the only time I could practice is when my mama went to the beauty shop. And daggum, she was, a lot of stuff might change. She'd go in that beauty shop at 4 o'clock every Friday afternoon. And so my friends would come over, we'd make it look good, we'd play baseball till a little bit before 4. And then we'd, I could see my mama cranking out old 1965 Galaxy 500, boom, and crank up. Somebody might be got a hit, and you're kind of running, but you ain't running hard. You're just going to first, and you're looking, watching my mama. And she back out and hit Highway 79, and when she went, we couldn't see the rear end of her car. That game was over, and we'd go straight to the corral, and, and, it, and I would ride something. And all we had around there was, like, 
fat, pudgy, fat, friendly little bulls and stuff. And you know, all my ride and all my stuff, we, we never had like the real thing, but it's all I had. So I got on whatever was there and whatever was available. And one time I got the revolution that um, real bucking bulls, you don't want to sit down for this. A lot of stuff I tell you probably won't do you any good. This is going to do you some good. <laughs> real bucking bulls, did you see at a rodeo like Jim Shoulders had? Now, this is a long time ago. This is not like what Josh does now. But they were big old crossbred, like a cross between a Brahmin and a Hereford. And you, they're both friendly, but then you cross them together and you get something that's nasty and mean and rank. And, and that's what I did not have. And as a minute, I thought to myself, I'm going to get good at this. I've got to get on the real deal. And so, so you've got, you got to know this. So anyway, here we go. So me and my daddy go to this seminar for ranchers one night. And one of the speakers, he says, what you old cattlemen need to do if you want some profit, you need to get some crossbred bulls and put them on your cows. And, and I didn't heard nothing that guy said till then. I elbowed my daddy. I said, did you hear that? I said, we need profit. I didn't know what it was. I said... But we need profit, Daddy, all the way home. I said, man, that speaker, he was pretty good, wasn't he? There'd been about seven of them. I said, the one about the crossbred bulls, you know? And my daddy slowed to change and didn't, you know, we didn't get no crossbred bull. And then one day, I had come home from school. Me and my brother, Tim, we got off the school bus. And just as we got off the school bus and started up that gravel driveway and the school bus went down the county road, my daddy turned in with a gooseneck cattle trailer hooked up to his truck, and he was hauling on it, <laughs> the most beautiful, Big old, good looking. I'm talking about crossbred bull I ever seen in my life. I'm talking about big black horns sticking out everywhere. And I go, Lord. I said, Y'all, I had been praying for a crossbred bull and God had dropped him off. I'm talking about right behind a school bus. And Daddy come in and I dropped them school books and I took off running. I slid on that gravel right up to him. And I mean, I'm talking about him right there and I got right up there close to him and, and bam, he hit the side of that trailer with them horns. And I remember a, a leaf blew off a tree, it harmlessly floated in there and he kicked at that thing. And he hooked that leaf to shreds in the floor of that trailer, kicked the side of the trailer. I'm talking about, and I mean, I'm telling you, I'm shook up, y'all. I'm talking about, God, I mean, I'm, and my, my daddy comes walking straight towards me. He says, Terry, he said, boy, you look at me. And I'm falling in love for the first time. I mean, you remember how it was? You remember, Ted? He said, you listen, you look at me, boy. I said, yes, sir. He says, whatever you do, you, do, you listen to me now. Whatever you do, you do not ride this bull. And I didn't ride him until that next Friday at 4 o'clock. We had him in the chute there. And I, all the boys, no boys showed up, I'd tell it quick. No kids showed up that day to play. I had one little boy named Chuck showed up in my house, a little scroungy, skinny little kid. He, he was close to my age, but just wore short pants around. And he'd just been playing in his mama's flower bed. I mean, he'd come down there on a green bicycle. And, and, and this is who's going to help me get on this big crossbred book because I don't do it. And he's the only help I got. And he'd been... Back then, we had ticks and chiggers, and he's got little red knots all over his little ankles and his knees, and he's done scratched his little socks. So they're just swagged out and stretched out, and he's, little, he's just 
pitiful. And I'm talking about just can't even wear regular pants. They're those elastic little pants. He, he ain't got big enough to wear no pants with a belt loop in it. You know? That was his goal. He said, well, if I ever get me a belt on, I'll be something. And, uh, and he's just... There it is. That's who's going to help me get on. And I ain't turning back. I get on this bull and I had it all set up. I had gotten a, a pulley and some strings where I had an automatic latch on that latch where it would open that chute when I got ready. And uh, so I eliminated having Chuck have to do any of that stuff. And so I said, he, Chuck says, what do you want me to do? I said, stand in front of that shed. I said, it was, this wasn't a rodeo arena, y'all. This was like a farm. And so, <laughs> and so there's a shed hung out over it. And so he's, um, Chuck's only job is to, I told him, keep that bull from getting under that shed. If he gets under that shed, he could hurt me, okay? And, I, and, I, and he said, well, I'm going to need a stick or something. And so, I mean, this big black bull, he weighs about 1650. I thought he's a real deal. And so we finally found a stick he could hold up for a while. And so... Chuck's in position, and I get my rope on this, my first crossbred bull, y'all. I'm telling you, I already know the difference. It's like when I'm putting the rope on, he's like kicking and snorting and trying to hook me with his horns. And, and so, and, and, and then, so then I sit kind of down on him, just to get ready, and he ain't fat and squishy he's, or none of them. He's hard as a rock. I'm talking about his old, he's like flexed up just all the time when he ain't even trying. And so I sit down on him. I said, man, I'm fixing to do this. I mean, I was so excited, and I pulled that rope up tight. It was a real, I had a real bull rope by then, and, and, and I got ready, and I scooted up there, and I looked at Chuck, and, and he had come that day. He was a anemic-looking little pale little boy, but he was more pale than what he was when he got there. And I said, Chuck, I said, are you ready? He goes, ready. And, uh, and I reached over there, and I'm telling you, this bull is doing everything he can do. I'm just fixing to reach my string and unlatch the gate. And he just drops his head down and drags his horn up the side of that chute. Da, 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 and them old splinters are just jumping up in the air. And then he cock his head the other way and take that left horn. Da, 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 just drag it up the side of that chute. I said, man, he's trying to intimidate me. <laughs> and so I'm ready. I grab a hold of my hay string and I pull it. And it goes, click. <laughs> and I, and, it, and like, nobody's breathing. And I take my foot and I kick that gate open. And Lord, I'm going to tell y'all. <laughs> we did the bull business. We talked about us blowing up. You know, man, that bull really blowed up. Let me tell you, the first jump, it was so violent. I had no idea. And I thought he had exploded. I thought, I done tore my daddy's bull up. I thought his body was just, it felt like I done tore this sucker up, I'm talking about. But let me tell you, he landed and he was all together. And I mean, I'm telling you, I have tied myself to, I'm talking about the real deal. And the, the start of the second jump, man, you know how you can do. I, I prayed right quick. I said, I, was, I said, Lord, I am so stupid. I said, I am not ready for no crossbred bull if, if you'll just get me off. I will be ready the next time I do this. And then he felt like he jumped as high as a basketball goal and started spinning it to the right-hand direction. And that's when the Lord answered my prayers. 
he got me off. Everything except my hand. And my hand hung up. You ever seen that happen? It, it hung in that bull rope. And like, I'm telling you, he ain't like that little horse down there at Walmart, like the quarter will finally run out. He's really getting it on now. And my feet aren't even touching the ground. I'm just kind of swinging out here. And he's bucking and spinning and hitting me with his horns. And it's just craziness going on. And, and I'm going, man, and Chuck is doing everything he can. You remember little Chuck? He's screaming like a girl. He said, no offense. He says, here's what he's telling me. He says, Terry, every time I come around, he says, quit riding him. Quit riding him. He was crying. Quit riding him. I mean, I got a little common sense. I've been done, you know, riding him for like a while. And finally, he stomps me loose. He got his feet right in my back, and they slid down. And so if it ever happens to you, hang there a little while, you'll come loose. Don't worry if it happens to any of y'all. <laughs> I did. And I'm on the ground. And everything got still, and I look up, and like he's still there, and he's doing that thing like people say is real funny when they're pawing, you know, and like, well, it'll be a good time to see if my legs work. I don't think they will. And I get to my feet. And the funniest thing has happened. I ain't got no shirt on. Y'all, I would have never rode a bull that way. So I know I had a shirt on. In that last jump, he just ripped my pants, broke my belt, and my pants just fell to my ankles. And I was stomp naked, I'm talking about. My first cross <laughs> bull had stomped me naked. And so, and so, next crisis was, guess who washes all the clothes in my family? Not Terry. And so, my mama goes, what happened to your pants? It was just Chuck down here. What happened? I said, man, we was playing baseball, mama, and I was working on sliding into second base, and Chuck was trying to break up a double play, and that's all I remember about it. So... Uh, I doubt she fell for that, but y'all, I got to go on to Don Gay's bull riding school, and Don Gay is the eight times world champion bull rider in the Hall of Fame and all kinds of cool stuff. And I went to his bull riding school, and, and, and I learned to ride bulls the right way where I could deal with some of the situations I got in. And it was after that, <clears throat> just real quick, that um, I had been raised in the church, and I, I thought I was going to go to heaven because mom and daddy was going. I'd see my daddy where I didn't think he deserved to go, but I, he went a lot. My, my mom and my daddy went to church a lot, but I, you know how it is when you're with your daddy all the time. And I, so, so, <laughs> so I come to the conclusion, that, and I heard a guy on the radio present the gospel, and I knew I needed to accept Jesus on my own. And I was about 16 years old. I started a relationship with Jesus and asked him to forgive me of my sin and be my Lord and Savior. And man, I meant it, y'all. And, um, and they say maybe boys don't know what they're doing. Um, and some don't, maybe. <laughs> but I did. And um, then I started riding bulls for a living. When I got out there in 1979, I was 19 years old. I was rodeoing for a living. I met a man by the name of Ron Knatcher. What a cool dude. And he loved Jesus so much, it was ridiculous how much this man. But he worked the system. He worked for Winston Cigarettes and drove a, they gave him a truck and a trailer. And he set up a Winston scoreboard at all these big rodeos that I was traveling to early in my career. 
And he'd have a living quarters trailer and he was there. And that's where I heard the Word of God. I heard a little preaching when I went to church. Nothing against my church, man. Thank God for them. But Lord have mercy. I heard the word when I got around Ron Canatcher. Guys like Larry Smith and Coy Huffman, old Bill Shaw. Ron Canatcher's deal. He said, I'm going to make you into a faith person whether you like it or not, Terry. I said, man, I like it. I got no problem with that. And he said, he says, they ain't just... Some of us ain't just faith people, and some ain't, and some are. He says, faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. You know what that means? I said, well, that means faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. <laughs> he said, the only way to grow your faith, Terry, is to hear God's Word. And he said, and he'd tell all us boys sitting around there, I remember Sydney, Iowa one time, and Ron Canatcher's speaking the Word into us. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And he, he would tell me, he said, know the Word, Terry. If you're going to be a faith person, he said, you're going to need to be a man of faith. He said, you, you, you have to be a man of faith. He said, all you boys, y'all have to be men of faith. And he says, read the Word of God and know the Word of God and speak the Word of God. He said, I don't care if y'all going around saying it's John whatever or Revelation whatever. He said, but speak the word. He says, because your opinion ain't worth nothing. He says, when your opinion, I'll never forget it. When your opinion becomes God's opinion, you got something to stand on. He said, you'll need to know that. That's what he always said. He would tell me to renew your mind. He'd see me. I'd come in there. He said, Terry Holland. He said, I got a feeling you need to renew your mind. I said, man, I'm going to tell you, I'm just hanging out with them guys. I said, I'm just following them boys around. I thought he could see what I was doing or something. I said, <laughs> I went with them guys because I didn't want to lose them, Ron. I said, it didn't have nothing to do with where they were. And I said, but I will renew my mind. I mean, I... <laughs> he said, you need to do that daily. Um, Y'all, I loved riding bulls. Every part of it, everything about riding bucking bulls. When I was a little boy, Sometimes the only way I could go to sleep, my mama wouldn't let me ride, but I had a bull rope and I had some rosin to make my rope hot and sticky, and I had a glove. And I share this with y'all because y'all are friends, and it's like, like people all over the world probably not able to see it. So um, I would rub this rosin when I'm a little boy, and I would, I would lay my head over on the pillow close to the glove with the rosin on it, and I'd smell that rosin, and it smelled just like Freckles Brown had done it there at the Carthage Rodeo and, and Don Gay and Pete Gay. And I, I smell that rosin and fall asleep. Smelling that rosin on my glove. My mama, my mama, I don't know what she thought come out. She probably said, for crying out loud. I wish, look, look at this, for crying out loud. <laughs> Sleeping on a bull riding glove. It stick to me sometimes. I get hot, you know, it stick to me. I wake up, go, ah. And so, that's how much I loved it, y'all. And um, when Debbie and I got married in 1988, we were going to go into cow business and be successful ranchers. You know what I bought, Debbie? You'll need to sit down for this. You know what I bought her? I don't know what y'all bought your wife when you got married, Billy. I bought Debbie, Beatty at the time, before we were married, I bought her 42 crossbred cows. <laughs> Heavy bread to a Charlotte bull. <laughs> And I'm talking about, there were some pears on there. Some of it already had calves. So 
Well, are you kidding me? It's love. <laughs> Didn't I do that, Debbie? I bought them before we got married. And I told that guy, I said, man, I can't pick them up till a week from Monday. He said, oh. I said, you've got to keep them here on your place. He said, what do you got to do? I said, get married and go on a honeymoon, for crying out loud. So <laughs> that's what we did. Debbie and I, <clears throat> when we got home, started our venture in the cow business. And it had been quite the adventure. Um, and as Debbie and I got going, it was a funny thing. I started putting on the Carthage Rodeo. And instead of Jim Shoulders being the stock contractor, it was Don Gay. He had become a stock contractor. And they go, man, this is crazy. I said, it used to be Jim Shoulders was my hero. Now Don Gay's my hero, and he's putting the rodeo. Me and Debbie are working together, and then Khaki comes along in 1992, and she's born. And then about 1994, man, y'all going through my life fast. It was really slower than that, but this is, <laughs> we got to do it this way so we can get it done. About, I'm going to say 19, maybe 1994, um, I had a set of these uh, F1 cows, heifers that I bought. I'd buy, uh, <clears throat> okay, ranch lesson real quick. I bought these heifers off this ranch. They had gray Brahmin cows and Hereford bulls and the crosses, like I said earlier, an F1 tiger stripe. You got some, don't you? And a, some tiger stripe heifers. But to get them, I had to buy the bulls too. So I had to buy all the little bull calves. And it cost a lot of money and I'd go to the bank and I'd borrow that money and then I was on a time slot to get rid of the bulls but they were absolutely gorgeous and beautiful to a guy that is in love with crossbred bulls. So it was always hard, but it had come to that point, and Debbie was so good as my partner to remind me that the bulls had to be sold. Because <laughs> she said, that's how we pay for the heifers, and that's how we give the little man at the bank his money back. And then he lets us do it next year. So I go, Golly, Debbie, but look at them bulls. It was 24 of these bulls, and y'all, they were the cat's meow, I'm going to tell you. Back before Josh, y'all did what y'all did in bull programs where a bull's great-grandfather's a bull and his grandfather's a bull, and he just go and the cows out of bucking bulls. Back then, you got big old crossbred bulls, and, and they didn't all buck, but you'd find some that did, and so that's what I'm doing. And um, I began to pray about it because Debbie and I had started praying about our business. You ever done that? And I said, Lord, direct our business. I'd be honest with God. I said, I don't want to sell these bulls. But Debbie tells me we need to sell these bulls. So then I got serious about it, and I said, I told Debbie one day, I said, I believe Donnie Gay is supposed to, more than just I wanted him to, I kind of wanted him to own these bulls and have them in his rodeo company. But literally, y'all, the more I prayed about it, I seriously was led to the fact that he, he needed to own these bulls. So I called him and said, hey, Donnie. I said, I got 24, two-year-old, gorgeous. I'm talking about just like your daddy used to buy, that you and Pete used to get on. You tell all them stories about y'all getting on them mountain, them old green bulls out and stuff. He said, I said, you got to see them. He said, I can't look at them. He said, I, can't, I ain't got the money. I can't buy them. I said, but man, you're supposed to own them. And this was a year, this was a little before he was a Christian. <laughs> he said, what do you mean I'm supposed to own them? And I just give it to him. I said, the Lord wants you to own these bulls. <laughs> he said, well, the Lord will give me some money if I'm supposed to own them. But he said, right now I, got no, I can't do it. I said, let me send you a video. Don't you show them to me. He said, I don't want to see them. He can trust himself. And so, so. I don't know if y'all ever had this experience, but sometimes, rare occasion in your ministry, 
people gonna have to be tricked to do what they're supposed to do. And so, <laughs> the rodeo's going on in Jacksonville, Texas, which is about 50 miles from my house. So I load up, the, there's 24 of these bulls. I load the be, all my trailer holes, eight of them. I put the best looking eight on my trailer. I go to Jacksonville, Texas, and I get there early. Yep, I was there early. And, uh, and so I pull in there, and, I, and Pete Gay, Don Gay's brother, is just a hand at this rodeo, and old Rocky McCallum, and some of them guys, and old Jeff Roberts, and they see me coming. They said, what are you doing? I didn't know you was bringing bulls. I said, man, I got, I got to spring them on old 8X there. I said, well, y'all help me get them in here real quick. They, come on, come on. They go, fast. I said, where's Donnie at? I said, he's in the secretary's office. I back up there, man, hit it the first time. That's a miracle. And get them where it's supposed to be. And we unload them. And I pull the trailer out of the way and hide it. And the bulls are just in the alley there. And they're just sweating. Golly, y'all. Woo, they're beautiful. And so Donnie Gay, I see him come bebopping out of the uh, secretary's office. And he's got some cut cards with, with stock numbers for the steer wrestling and all that stuff. And he's going to go give it to his hands, which is Pete Gay and, and uh, Rocky McCallum and Jeff Robertson. They're standing over there admiring these bulls. And he gets over there, and then he sees me, and he goes, you know, he goes, ah, I figured you was going to do something like that. And he started looking at him. I said, man, now, you know how to sell something to some people is quit trying. <laughs> I said, well, I knew he was done hooked. I knew he done fell all in with him. I said, you ain't got it. I just wanted you to see him. I'm going to sell him to Gerald Smith Monday. I said, I said, I said, I got him sold. I said, but I just wanted you to, they're pretty cool, aren't they? He said, hey, you ain't selling to nobody else. I'll take them. I'll borrow the money. He said, I'll send Rocky and them over our money. We'll get them. He said, I'll borrow the money. So I said, well, they're all tiger stripes. You know, them striped, pretty Brayford kind. I said, there's one black motley faced bull on there. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, I loved him. I'm going to tell you, he was fancy. And, and, and so I thought I'd try it. I really did want to keep him. He said, nah, it's my favorite one. I'll take him. I'll take them all. How many of them is that? I said, 24. So I'll take 24 of them. I load them back up. Mission accomplished. I go home. They buy them. He borrows the money at the bank, and then they buy them. And then we buck them at a school. I'm helping Donnie at some school, and so we, we, we bucking them, you know, and buck them along there. And I kept going. I hadn't seen them. They'd been out of my jurisdiction. And... I said, I'm thinking to myself, I said, where's that black one at? And so I go, I said, hey. And Donnie looks at me and he said, what? I said, uh, where's that black one at? What'd you do with him? Ah, oh, he's back there. He's coming. And so we buck a whole bunch of them, and we bucked them all. And he, he brings this black one in. He comes up that chute, you know, and he's already kind of regal looking. He comes in that bucking chute, <clears throat> and he goes, he goes, Come on in here, prime time. I said, whoa, prime time? You done named one? I said, like the, the gay family, well, Don Gay and Neil Gay, all that, the, the gays, they didn't name a, <laughs> watch out, they didn't name a bull till he earned a name. And when I'd go up there, you know, that's how Jack the Ripper got his name when I was riding bulls. <laughs> he was like bad. And so Donnie goes, yeah, I named him. I said, we haven't even bucked him. He said, yeah, but he's going to be good. I said, how do you know? He said, man, I just know stuff. And I said, so he named him after his favorite football player, Deion Sanders, prime time. I mean, he loved Deion Sanders. So this bull has a name. He's the only one. So we buck him, y'all, and kid gets on him, and he's absolutely incredible. Some of them were pretty good the first time. 
this bull bucked like he'd been bucking his whole life. I mean, we all, and Donnie did that deal, y'all may not remember, but on a, a Sanford and Son, when things got really excited, old Fred Sanford, he'd go, Elizabeth, I'm coming to join you. He'd act like he's having a heart attack, you know. He'd go, and old Donnie, he got down after he watched him buck and made sure he was safe, and he goes, Elizabeth, I'm coming to join you. And he'd play, yeah, having a heart attack. And I said, he was pretty good, wasn't he? And um, so I guess uh, you knew what you were doing. And I kept up with prime time and, and all of those bulls, and several of them were good. And um, I was just so proud of them, and I was glad. I just felt, didn't really know why, but I, I, man, God, you know. And I just felt like he was supposed to own them for some reason. And um, I had been riding bulls y'all a long time, longer than most. And by the year 1997, I, 96, I went to a lot of Billy and Kay's rodeos. And, and of course, that's where we all kind of got together. But uh, I was going to a lot of those rodeos. And then when 1997 rolled around, I said, man, this would be pretty cool. You know, you got to think about stopping some things in your life. And a lot of times, <laughs> a lot of times it'll be something that you, it's, it's, that is you. But you know, you, I go, so I'm thinking, oh, I can still kind of ride. Maybe this is a good time. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll make 1997 my last year. It'll be 20 consecutive years as a professional bull rider. And that's pretty cool. And I go, and that's impressive enough. And I said, so we'll make it. It'll be 1997. So I actually started telling people, you know, I tell your announcer, I said, you know, this is like the last time I'm going to ever be at this rodeo. And it was, started out being really fun, and, and I was having some success, and, and I could still, you know, stay on a bull from time to time. And, uh, and so everything's going right. And every place I go, y'all, it's real emotional because it's the, it's the last time I'm going to be in that town. And, man, you guys, it's road bucking bulls and stuff. It's a real emotional time, especially if you know it's the last time you're going to a particular place. And so... In April, I went to a rodeo in Corpus Christi, Texas. And I actually was going to speak at a, at a Christian women's guest night deal for where they get their old husbands that don't know Jesus to come with them. They trick them into coming to hear a bull rider talk about something. And, uh, and so that's what I was really down there for. And I went to the rodeo in Corpus Christi on a Friday night. And Debbie and I are going to be the guest speakers on Saturday night at this women's uh, uh, deal for, where they invite their husbands to come and hear the gospel. And so um, I get on the bull there, and long story short of it, he crashed into the barrel. You know, that I've, been, I've never been a fan of the barrel, of a clown's barrel in a rodeo arena. Isn't that true, Keg? I'm like, anti-barrel. This goes back to this. He, that bull jumped that barrel with me on him and hung his back feet just long enough to, to totally fall to the side, and it drove my shoulder into the ground and broke my collarbone. And like when I say like real good, like when I break something, I break it. And so, <laughs> so it's bad. And so, and so I'm just totally unhappy. Anytime my career it would have been unhappy, but my dream to have this 97 season be, I was going to go to everywhere, Cheyenne and all those great rodeos through the summer and then, and then decide somewhere I'm going to end it and I'm going to say this is it and that's how it's going to be. And that doctor says, he says, you'll be, you'll be four months at least before you can ride a bull. It's on my riding arm side. And so I go April, I go May and June, July, August. And he said, probably around the first of September, maybe, maybe the end of August. And y'all, it crushed me. Um, but I'll tell you what, deal, Debbie and I did. I did not want to go share my testimony on Saturday night in Corpus Christi 
after I broke my collarbone. I had a really good excuse not to go. I'll just say it was a pivotal moment. And we went, didn't we? They give me some really good stuff. And I'm going to tell you, you take that stuff, you are going to do some preaching. Let me tell you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Y'all know that ain't true. And so I probably had a Tylenol or something. I don't know. I went on and shared my testimony. And a dozen people, as memory serves me, came to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. Because we went on and did it. It's in 1997 in April. You know, I was out for four months. And it didn't go like I wanted. I started, I came back and went to some of Billy James' rodeos. And I, I didn't look too good. I went to one of Don Gay's rodeos in Grand Prairie, Texas. And man, I had a little bitty friendly little bull that didn't have horns. And he made me look stupid. He just kind of went and cut. And, and then I just fell off. It was like a... Like that song, I went two point something seconds on whatever. <laughs> I didn't go that long. And, and it, I was embarrassed. And, you know, Donnie Gay, my friend now, he's, he didn't know what to say. He just, like, it was nothing to say. It was like, you're pitiful. But he didn't say it. It's like, it's over, man, you know. And I go, this is not how I had this planned. And so I kept training on one of my mighty buckies, a buck and bull simulator that I make and sell. And I rode that thing a lot because even before I was really supposed to ride bulls and tried to stay in shape. And, and uh, I went to another one of Billy's rodeos and actually rode a bull. But I wasn't having no abounding success. But the year is coming to an end. We're in September. And back then, the season would end pretty much the end of September and kind of into October a little bit. So if, if I'm going to hold to my guns and, and I'm, my career's really over, then it's really fixing to be over. And it's just going to end. And, and I, I was embarrassed at what I was and what that injury had made me. And uh, it broke my heart that that God let that happen. That he allowed that to happen. Yeah. And so, I always thought, well, I'll do it at one of Don Gay's rodeos because he had all those bulls. And I would plan it out in my mind, maybe when I'm on my tractor or something, I'd, I'd plan it out. I said, man, I'll, the only thing left is Texarkana and Henderson, Texas. Henderson, Texas is the end of that September, and, and Texarkana is the week before that. And I'd mow over and say, here's what would be really cool. And I'd plan it out, because I had a feeling that God didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> and he was going to need some help. So I said, I said, this would be ideal. You do what you want to with it. But if I entered, say, Henderson, Texas, and I drew a bull by the number of, say, 130. This is one of them bulls that came off our deal, 130. And oh, man, he looked good, and he'd spin, and he was easy to ride. And they rode him all the time, you know, and they'd win third or fourth, you know, on him. And you weren't going to win the rodeo. I said, but for me, I mean, that would be enough. And so I, I began to speak that and to say it in hopes that 
the one that hears everything <laughs> is paying attention <laughs> on how a career is supposed to end. And so <laughs> certainly not a bull like prime time. His number was 129. 129 was his number. Cool thing happened. I did not sign up to ride at the rodeo at Texarkana. I decided it's going to be Henderson. I'm going to retire. I, I, I called in and I entered and signed up to compete at Henderson and I was going to be up on a Saturday night. I knew that the week before that rodeo actually happened. In fact, the Texarkana rodeo was still going on, okay? And Don Gay was putting that rodeo on in Texarkana and prime time and all his buddies were in Texarkana. And I get a call late on a Thursday night. Usually around our place, it means your cows are out and the sheriff's department's calling you. But <laughs> happened not to be, it was my good friend Glenn Sullivan, and he was the rodeo judge at Texarkana. And this is on Thursday night. He says, hey. I said, you okay? He said, yeah, I'm fine. I saw the rankest bull I've seen in years. He said, I'm telling you, I think he'd come from you. He's got a TH on him. I said, is he black, motley face? He said, yeah. He said, 129. I said, yeah, 129. He said, I'm telling you, this bull bucks. And he said, I'm going to tell you, he will knock your head off. <laughs> he said, there's a guy who bulls really good back then, Scott Bredding. Uh, his boy rides now. Scott's a real good friend of mine. He broke his jaw that Thursday night. I mean, he violently pulled him down on his head and, and like, came up, and they met. And, and then... <laughs> And then broke his jaw, and he's bad. And Scott's my friend, but man, I was pumped. I told Debbie, I said, we got a bad one out there. <laughs> yes, sir, prime time, he's bad. And um, I thanked Glenn, I said, who else has got him? He said, Brian Herman's got him the next night, and he rides bulls pretty good too. And then another guy rode good, had him on Saturday. So anyway, I, I, it wasn't like it. Well, you couldn't find stuff out. Little boys didn't put their videos of them riding bulls up on Facebook like they do now. And so, and so you just depend on somebody to call you. And so Sunday morning, my phone rings, and it's Don Gay on Sunday morning. And, uh, you know, I go, you know, you ought to be in church. He goes, eh, yeah, okay. And, uh, and he said, uh, I got some good news. He said, he said, uh, prime time was outstanding. Thursday night, he broke Scott Bredding's jaw. I said, I heard that. He said, he bucked Brian Herman off fast, and then the next guy didn't even ride him that long. He said, all three of them didn't ride him eight seconds. That's what he said. And he says, bull riding director called me this morning. They're filling out the list. He said, prime time is going to the national finals rodeo. Las Vegas, Nevada. And man, y'all, Y'all have had boys beat all state football players, and you know how it feels, but this was the closest I'd ever been. <laughs> I said, Debbie, I said, prime time going to the national finals. And, and I said, that's why he, Don Gay's supposed to own that bull, because he's going to the national finals. I said, that's why Don Gay's supposed to own that bull. And I was so proud of that bull and said, man, he'll wreck somebody. That'll be fun. He'll really wreck somebody out at that <laughs> national final. <laughs> It, uh, that's coming from a guy that used to ride bulls. And so, so, uh, so I'm still, don't forget, I'm supposed to compete at the Henderson Rodeo the next weekend on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I'm up Saturday night. So I'm running a tractor Monday on the Brewster place, wasn't it? Place we lease, put cows on. I'm mowing, tending to business. 
and I see Debbie and Kathy come in there. We had an old quiet Ford car and roam down through there, down that location, with old <laughs> dust flying, like J.W. Coop coming in there or something. So <laughs> I'll tell you all about that later. And so, so she pulls up and cuts me off. And, and I, uh, I get out and I walked over to the door. She said, have you called? This is how it works. Have you called to find out? And she's giddy. She's just jumpy. Have you called to find out what bull you have at Henderson yet? Uh, you know, I said, no, that's all I've been thinking about. But no, Debbie, old hand like me, don't worry about it. It don't matter what I got. <laughs> and I'd been praying 130, 130, 130. That's what I wanted, 130, 130. Bull number 130. And I said, well, call them. We had a cell phone, you know, it was probably this big. And so <laughs> Debbie calls Procom, that 800 number, and she did what you do. You can't get access without your number. And that girl went, C-156-15L. I'd done it. I competed. I got on probably 1,500 pro bulls in my career. And old Debbie did it. She's C-156-15L. Terry Holland. They go, yes, ma'am. I guess they said, how can I help you? I bet that's what they said, wasn't it, Debbie? Something similar to that. She said, I'd like to know what Terry Holland, what his stock is at Henderson, Texas. And she's sitting there, and I'm cool. I'm being cool. Said, you know. And Debbie goes, could you say that again? <laughs> she hands a phone out, and I go, he goes, Doctor, everybody's so careful with information. Is this Terry Holland? I said, yes, yeah, C156, 15L. He said, I have you in the third performance, Saturday night, September the 28th, and your stock is 129. <laughs> that was enough. And they had a sponsor program. His name was Skulls Primetime. 129, Skulls prime time. Y'all, when I reenact that, it, I feel I have to lean on something. And so <laughs> Debbie goes, she said, how about that? <laughs> I imagine my voice did like 13-year-old boys do when their voice is changing. <laughs> I said, how about that? Debbie is so pumped. <laughs> she is such a faith person. <laughs> and little Khaki's in there. And Khaki's just going along with the situation at that age. Am I right? A five-year-old, she's probably just, whoever's the happiest, I'm on their team. <laughs> and so Debbie's extremely excited. She sees, I guess, the possibilities of something. And so, so they skedaddle. And I get back on my tractor. And y'all, I'm gonna tell you, I've done this my whole walk. I'm, I mean, I'm honest with my God. And I talk trash. Because Ron Canatra said he's your friend. He told me that, and I said, and so I tell it like it is. And I had killed the tractor, and before I cranked the tractor, I said, God, are you kidding me? I said, 
There's 15 bulls in that performance that night. 129 is just one of them. And the God of this creation, the one that sent the Savior, don't have no more sense. The fact that I was old is enough that knows I'm overmatched. That I'm rusty and I ain't been on more than three or four bulls since April is altogether a, the rest of the situation. I said, you got to be kidding me. When I knew that 130 was in that performance, I know he was. And I said, that would have been a move of God. I said, this is a random situation where bad stuff happens to the old guy that should have quit last year. He should have stopped riding bulls last year. So I cranked the tractor. I said, Jesus. I said, I spoke it. I said, I, I cannot start to ride that bull. I said, men that you're young and making a living riding bulls, the elite of the elite cannot master that bull. I said, boy, I done got myself in it now. I done told everybody, Henderson's it. That's the last time you'll ever get to see me ride. So did I say, so I cranked the tractor. Had I cranked the tractor, so I cranked the tractor. I start mowing. And I go, uh, I said, how about this? How about, I will walk by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. It's a powerful old scripture. Except when your sight is filled with prime time. <laughs> See, there's exemptions, is what I told myself to walk by faith and not by sight. It depends on what's in your sight. It depends on what you're staring at. That'll preach. It depends on what you're scared of. It depends on what is going to overmatch you and overpower you. And then God began to well up on the inside of me. And I began to believe that you could walk by faith and not by sight. I began to confess that. I began to say Romans 8.37 that I am more than a conqueror through Christ. The old standby, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me my strength. And I said, <laughs> I said, God, you, you must have a plan. You must have a way out of this. And, but I said, help me. Here's what happened. This is some of the weird stuff. I tell this everywhere. I tell this in Baptist churches. I don't care. I ain't been run out for it, but you'll need to hold on to something, some of y'all. Catch a hold to something right now. When I said to God, and I prayed a whole lot more than what I'm saying, and anyway, I prayed a lot, and I said, and I began to 
I said, I said, strengthen my faith, Lord. I said, I know that it's true that my faith has grown from knowing your word and knowing you. I knew that um, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and that the word came to earth and dwelt with us in the flesh. And I knew who that was and I knew the power of the word and the word had established my faith. And I went, no chicken. And, and then God says, literally, I knew what I was supposed to wear, he says. And whether I heard it, but I'm telling you, I saw it and I knew it. Wear your new hat. And I had a $450, because we had to sell a calf to buy it, $450 20X hat. Resist all 20X gold whatever hat. You know what I'm talking about, Wendy, like the real pretty, nice, expensive hat that you want to take care of, for crying out loud. And, and at that time in my career, I was landing on my head maybe every other time. And I said, oh, come on, Jesus, come on now. I'll wear it, man. I'll wear it. What's the worst thing could happen to it? And so, he ask Scott Bredding. And so then, he says, I had some really expensive King Ranch white shirts that I, I got for Christmas. We, being cow people like we were, we didn't buy a lot of King Ranch shirts. And uh, my sister-in-law actually would give me a white King, beautiful. And he impressed upon me, God said, wear the white shirt. I said, oh man, I do it on purpose. I don't wear them on purpose. Said, you know, you, Debbie can't get them clean, you know, or something happened to a white shirt and there's stuff flying around that you don't want on it. And I never had considered that, ever. And it was against my grain. I said, I'll wear the white shirt. What else? And I had started doing like a lot of young boys. I'd started getting them different kind of blue jeans that were loose and baggy where you could kind of get down with it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I'm saying, Billy? <laughs> like, but what real cowboys wore when I started my career and what Jim Shoulders wore and what Harry Tompkins wore and what Casey Tibbs wore were Wrangler 13 MWZs. Not just, it had to be them. That's what the riflemen wore for crying out loud. He says, I had one pair left. He said, wear the 13 MWZs. It's got to be God because who would think of stuff like this? I go, I would never do that again. I done went all bad, you know. Then gone loose. Anyway, the last thing. Y'all, why I did it, I don't know. I had bought a brand spanking new bull rope. And I had an old bull rope that was comfortable and wore out, and I loved it. And that's what I was going to ride prime time with. That's what I'm going to finish my career with. The Lord impressed upon me to use my brand spanking new bull rope. And if you've ever rode bulls, that's the craziest, goofiest, <laughs> stupidest thing to ask a person to do. And I said, Look, I'll wear the shirt, praise God. I'll wear the hat, hallelujah. I'll wear the jeans, glory to God, I'll wear them. But I cannot put no brand new bull rope on prime time. And I said, yes, I will. Okay, I will. And so that, that night I put it on my bucking barrel and I rode with it a bunch of times. I said, well, I may put, I'm going to at least squeeze on it a little bit. So, um, my faith began to grow. It's crazy, y'all. You ever had that happen to you? When you are so dominated 
and you are so scared and you are so maybe outnumbered, yeah. and I begin to just yeah. get a little, do you know, like, and I go, it's like God saying that famous line, so you say I got a chance. <laughs> I got to believe if you're thinking about what I'm wearing, you're thinking about my hat, you're thinking about my jeans, I got a chance. I got to at least look good. <laughs> that night I called some of my friends. I called Billy James right here. I said, I'm getting on my last bull Saturday night, Henderson, Texas. What do you got? That's what bull riders ask. What do you got? It matters. What do you got? I said, prime time. No, Billy. He goes, ooh. <laughs> no, he did. Uh, mm. But he's a man of God. I knew he'd pray for me. That's why he was on the list. And he did. I called Glenn Sullivan, the guy that was the judge that saw Scott Bredding get his head knocked off his body. They put it back on in emergency surgery and all. And by prime time. And uh, I said, Glenn, Got a special thing for you. What are you doing Saturday night? He said, that's nothing. I didn't get a job. I'm not judging anywhere. What do you got? I said, uh, I'm getting on my last bull. I entered Henderson, Texas. I want you to be the one. Glenn and I rodeoed together in 1979, our first rodeo we went to. We went together, Kansas City, Missouri. I said, I want you to be the one that pulls my rope you know, and tightens it for me. Man, I mean, literally, he, he got emotional. We both did. I said, man, you, you're the man. He said, I'll be there for you. He said, what do you got? I said, uh, prime time. He goes, 129? I said, yes. He said, oh, man. Mm. He'll tell me to this day. The other day, I said, what would you think? He said, tell you, I never felt so sorry. He loves me. He said, I never felt so sorry for a man in my life. He said, he said, I just go, oh, no. He said, I never, because he had seen it. And you talk about Glenn walking by faith and not by sight, but he doesn't seen it be so bad. He, there it was. But Glenn told me later, he, he began to pray for him. Cool thing, Glenn, about Billy so much, but Glenn, but Glenn told me, he said, man, I, got, I started getting pumped up. He said, I started thinking you might could. He said, you know, Glenn's probably thinking like, He's going to, you know, he's going to like walk around. I don't know, but not really. He said, "I got to thinking you might could do it." And Glenn kept praying for me. And um, I called Norman Curry just because I knew he'd feel sorry for me. He's a great bull rider, and I told him he did the exact same thing. He said, "I said, he said, what you got?" I said, uh, "Come over if you can." He said, "I got a PBR. I got to go to." He said, "Well, okay." And I said, uh, "He said, what you got anyway?" I said, "Prime time." He said, "Black ball, Motley Face Bull of Donnie's." And he said, "He said, man, don't do that." <laughs> Man, we got to get on them. I said, I, I got it. He said, yeah, get it. He said, but don't, don't tell everybody it's your last one and all that stuff. He said, wait till you got a chance. That's what he told me. So I said, I got it coming at me everything. I said, okay, man. I said, yeah, thanks for the help. And so, so um, we continued to pray. My family did. Thursday night, I decided to go over there and scope it out. 
primetime was bucking on Thursday night and Saturday night with yours truly on Saturday night. So I'd go over there, and we're going to watch him, and I'm going to make a plan. And I watch that. <laughs> I go, this is not what I needed to see. I'll just leave it at that. And so, and so Saturday, actually that night I pulled tough, my friend Tough Hedeman's rope and tightened it for him, and he rode one of those bulls that I should have drawn. A bull number 133, that would have been perfect. And tough rides and dead ease, and scores 83 points, and he's winning the rodeo, and I got to help him. I said, good ride. And anyway, and so Saturday comes, and we get to the rodeo, me and Debbie and Khaki, and, and uh, Debbie's mama was there, and it was just real busy, y'all. It was, it was so many people. Is this really it, Terry? Are you really quitting? Is this really it? And I said, yeah, you know, this is it, man. And it was real emotional, man. I'm telling y'all, it was... It was working on me, and um, in fact, um, Donnie walked up to me, and I was just fixing to walk away. I said, I got to get away, and Don Gay, my hero, my friend, walked up to me, and um, by the way, this was in 1997, in 1995, Donnie Gay called me and told me, he said, well, it finally worked. He said, I give my life to Jesus. I done got baptized. That's what he told me two years before this. And um, I said, incredible. And, uh, and so, but he walks up to me in 1997 on Saturday night, getting on my last bull, prime time. He says, he said, you look at me. So I look down at him. He's a little guy. <laughs> and he cocks his old hat back. And he said, uh, here's what I want you to do. Keep it simple. He said, riding perfect. One jump. He patted me on the shoulder. He said, that'd be good enough for me. He walked away. And Donnie and I had done them schools. And when we talked to guys that were maybe had elite capabilities, we'd tell them to ride a rank bull, to ride the unridable bulls. This is true. You better get a good start. You better ride him perfectly the first jump or you ain't got a chance. And that's what he was telling me. But he said, he said, ride him perfect one jump. be good enough for me patted me on the shoulder, walked away. I went to the back of the arena. I sat down on a bale of hay. Some old roping steers were beside me. And I began to pray. And here's what I confessed. 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. And then I said, Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine, Terry, before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And I began to pray that what happened that night, I had made excuses the whole time that I'll try to ride him, obviously can't. I'll try to ride him, but I can't. And, and he'll butt me off, and my last bull will be a bull I raised, and that'll just be pretty cool. I made that excuse. But I quit doing that. And then it got really weird. Like this, I looked into the pitch darkness, and it was as if a video played. You have a crazy guy back again, David? And uh, this video was like playing, and I could go to any part of my life I wanted to. I saw myself as a little boy and hanging around behind the chutes at the Carthage Rodeo. I saw my first high school rodeo in Marshall, Texas, when I won the bull ride, and I, 
I saw, I was at Randy Majors' permit sessions in Comanche, Texas. I was trying to earn my membership. I, it was incredible. I, I saw my, I was in a hospital in an intensive care unit in Bay City, Texas. And then, and then I saw myself in Herman Hospital and they were going to amputate my leg in 1989. I saw that too. And I saw Debbie praying for me. I've heard her tell a story. But in my video, I saw her <laughs> telling a doctor, do not cut his leg off. <laughs> do you understand <laughs> what I'm saying? Yeah. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> they didn't. I stand on it today. Yeah. It was so incredible. And finally, I heard barrel racing going on, and the announcer, Randy Smuts, one of my good friends, it's time for me to go. I said, glory be to you, Jesus. And I walk back up there, and I see prime time, spinning around a little holding pin, and then they shoot him up into a chute right before you go into the bucket chute, and that's where I'm going to put my bull rope on a bull for the last time. I grab my bull rope, I put it on him, <laughs> I long for this. I want to put it on him and I want to adjust it so that it fits perfectly. I cannot wait for it not to be perfect so that I can adjust it. And I tighten it up and it's absolutely perfect. I said, that ain't right. I got to adjust it. But it's perfect. It had never happened in all my career. I never was good enough to just put it on him and it fit. It fit. I pull it tight. Surely it ain't right. I pull it again. I said, oh man. So I tied it off like I'd done. 1,500 times, and I stood behind the chutes, and Donnie Gay had told me, he said, we're going to make this special. You'll be the last guy to ride. And there wasn't nothing left but me in prime time. He comes in, and he's in the back chute. I knew that's where Donnie wanted to buck him because that's his old deal in the back chute. Like, Three chutes on this side that opened to the left, and, and, and some guy misunderstood, and he pulled the slide gate, and, and he went up a chute to the middle chute, which, you know, and then, you know, Donnie goes, what are you doing? He got mad. And then he goes, i never forget. He said, it won't matter. We can buck him in the parking lot at Walmart. It'll be the same. He's going to buck. It don't matter. <laughs> and so, so he stayed. They said, you want to move him back? And, ah, oh, he's okay right there. And it, it was not going to matter. And so... So it came time, and I sat down on him, and, and, uh, and I, everything, Glenn pulled it tight for me so I could heat that rosin up. And I did it like I'd done hundreds of times. And then I told him slack, and he'd give me some slack, and I heated the handle up, and, and I put my hand in it. And then I knew, y'all, I wasn't going to never do it again. And I didn't. I knew that was it. And I'd done it a certain way. I had my hand in that brand spanking new bull rope. <laughs> and I told Glenn, pull it tight. I'd done this to Glenn before. I said, pull it tight. Like, he goes, man, that's all I got. I said, a little bit more. Just a, I said, just a, just a little bit more. And Glenn's about to just bust open. And that's all I got, man, that's all I got. And I take it, and then, and then I, I let off about three inches, you know, a little bit. Just... <laughs> For old time's sake, you know. He goes, you've got to be kidding me. Glenn goes, you've got to be kidding me. 
He said, you better take this serious, is what he said. He said, you better take this serious. I'm taking plenty serious. It's plenty serious, don't worry. And so I take my route for the last time. And when I sat behind them shoots, y'all, I had prayed. I said, God, I said, the best I ever was. And I thought, I remembered what I prayed. I said, I was 20 years old. So I just kept it simple. I said, God, I need the body of a 20-year-old. I need the skill of a 20-year-old. I need the faith of an 8-year-old boy. Have you ever heard Jesus talk about such as the kingdom of God, talking about little kids and the faith of little children? You know why he says that? Because that kind of faith impresses God. And the only thing moves God I ever seen is faith. And the only thing, the only way you can please him, it says it's impossible to please him without faith. That's right. So, so I said, so I said, I need the faith of a child, a little boy. That thinks he can when he can't. And I grabbed that gate and I walked forward like I always have with my feet first. And I, when I got to that rope, it was like ain't nothing left to do. And and uh, the closer I got to my rope, I began to feel giddy, not scared. I felt like a little boy. As I sat here, I didn't. And as I slid up here, I said, this is getting really cool. I felt like a little boy. I wasn't scared. And I had hope. So if you guys are ready, see how it turned out.
He has qualified for the Texas Circuit Finals and has won the Mesquite Championship Rodeo as well. He is the only individual besides Don's brother Pete who has helped instruct Don Gay's bull riding school for probably the past dozen years. So Don has used some of his bulls as well to do so. It is indeed an honor to see this man here. I want to tell you, a 38 year old veteran bull rider. Let's get behind him and let's see if we can't get this man going. Yes! The right way tonight. Here's a slow-mo here. Oh. <laughs> I'll just analyze it for y'all. There's some bull guys here. You can tell how rank a bull is by how high his feet come off the ground, his front feet, not necessarily his back feet. When they kick in the back, it makes them easy to ride. They have to get their front feet off to have drop, and that's what he would do when he would pull people down on his head. Right here, he draws me to the inside of the spin and I just pop right out because I'm using my new rope, which is, <laughs> so I guess God does know something about. Probably had I used the worn out rope, he wells me the third jump and I'm on the inside of the spin. You can see Don Gay kind of to the right there. He actually was the one that opened the gate. Jimmy Anderson is fighting bulls that night and he's since passed away, but another one of my great friends. And, Look at Donnie, and there's Jimmy Anderson. He comes in to save him. This bull usually would try to hook you. The, the second you got off, he was bad, and he, he just went out to let out gate. You can see the forward motion from this angle. This is a friend of ours. And that, another thing that makes bulls rank, it's not only bucking, but forward motion. You don't see it in that first video. Here you see him, he's traveling. You can see he started over here, and when he's spinning, he's not only spinning, but he's, he's, he's covering ground and drifting, and you can see again, how high his feet, and when I, y'all, I'm literally, when I, when I watch this, um, I'm a man of reality in the bull business, and I know stuff, I've seen stuff, and, and it is, it's, it was impossible, it could not happen, but it did happen. That's right. I rode him about nine seconds, it was so loud, you couldn't hear the, you couldn't hear the buzzer, <laughs> Probably blew a whistle back then. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. And uh, what a cool bull and what a cool moment. So thank y'all. You can turn the lights off. Finish up. That takes. Thank y'all for listening and giving me the opportunity. If, if I don't tell that story, it's almost like it's just not fair not to tell it, yeah. what God did. So I wind it up with this. I always thought I wanted to be remembered as a great bull rider, and we do. And when I got off of that bull after what had happened, I was never so overwhelmingly sure and positive that, that I wasn't great. And I didn't need to be great. 
And I serve a God that loves me so much that this mattered to Him. I mean, my little old thing, y'all, I live in a little world, a little rodeo world, a little cowboy world, and, and billions of people don't even know what I'm talking about. And the Creator loved me so much. He, he knew what it meant to me. He knew where that was in my heart. And that's what He did for me that night. I said, I would ask God, I said, why did you do that? It would always, always be the same because I love you so much, Terry. And you love me. Man, y'all, there's times on that rodeo trail, I'm telling you what, it wasn't a lot of bright lights out there. And he honored me, I think, for letting my light shine. And the last thing I'll tell you, I told this story at a bull riding school one time, and a guy heard me tell the story. This has been about, say, five years after, we'll say about five years after I had ridden primetime. I told this story. People heard it. A lot of people want to know, well, where's primetime now? I said, I don't know. I wish I did know. Donnie was going to give him back to me when we retired him, but he sold his rodeo company right about at this time, and I didn't get him. I didn't know where he was. And so, anyway, I tell the story. I'm at the high school national finals with my Mighty Bucky stuff in a booth trying to sell them. Phone rings, cell phone rings. And guy goes, this is Rick Carpenter. You all remember Rick Carpenter? Rode Bronx, went to NFR, rode a horse blindfolded one time. <laughs> Rick Carpenter, good friend of mine. He said, hey, that story you told the other day, is that true? I said, most of it. <laughs> I said, uh, yeah, it's true. He said, that bull, a big black ball face, bull, a little white on his face. He said, he got an 8X on him? I said, yeah, he does. Are you looking at him? He said, is, is, is he got a, your TH brand on his right hip high? I said, yeah. His number's 129. I said, yeah. He said, I'm looking at him. I said, where? He said, he's on a bunch of cows in Sheridan, Arkansas. I said, Sheridan, Arkansas? I said, who owns him? He said, I'll find out. And this is where I said, buy him. He said, you sure? He said, he said, if he's as famous as you said, he's going to cost a bunch. I said, well, that part was true. I said, I said, I couldn't. I said, God will provide, right? I said, buy him. He said, you sure? I don't care what he costs. I said, Rick, the next time you call me, you have bought prime time. Or don't call me. He said, I'll see what I can do. I said, no, Rick, you do it. So I called Debbie. In Carthage, Texas, I said, you're not going to believe this. I tell her the story. She said, you're kidding me. I said, I told him to buy him. And Debbie liked me a lot. She said, but she's a little not like me. But uh, she said, he could cost like more than we have. And I said, yeah, but we'll do something. And she, and she, she with me. She piled on. She goes, yeah, we'll do something. So my phone rings two days later. And it's Rick Carpenter. I said, hey, Rick, did you get it done? He said, got her done. He said, all you got to do is come up here the last week in September. He said, y'all are putting a bull riding on up here, aren't you? I said, yeah. He said, you can come then, bring your trailer. You can pick him up, pay for him then. I said, well, how much? He said, I guess I've done a good job telling that story. He said he wanted $1,000 for him. I mean, 
He'd have brought more than that, like at the sale barn. He said, I guess I told that story pretty good. I said, I guess you did. That's all he wants. He said, he told you to write him a check for $1,000. And that's what I did. I went up there. He was big and beautiful and good looking and in his retirement, I guess. And he loaded on my trailer. He did what a rodeo bull does. I'm going to tell, tell you a bull that's been on there. I got some khaki does. They don't know what to do. <laughs> but this old timer, he knew what to do. He went to the front of that 32-foot trailer, and he turned to a left-hand turn, and he stood sideways, and he scrunched up to the front. So you load more bulls, and everybody be on there this way, you know. You wouldn't have your head in a bull's butt or something like that if you're another bull. So, and, uh, and I said, man's name was Johnny Harper. I wrote him out a check. I wrote it out. My God is so good. I was thinking the whole time, crying, trying to get it done. I go, Jesus, we'll have him at my house. Knew right where you want to put him. I'm writing it out. I write the 1,000 Johnny Harper. I sign it. I always do the last thing, I write the date last, because I never know what day it is. <laughs> Anybody like that? I said, what's today anyway? So he tells me, it's September the 28th, 2002. Five years exactly, I'm talking about to the day of when I wrote him, exactly five. Are you kidding me? Because God, God, God's good. But he's cool too. He does cool stuff if you want to be a part of it. That's what I tell people all the time. I said, you can go anywhere I've been. You can have you some stories too. You got to be all in. And I guess that's what I was. Let me pray for y'all. Father, I love you. Thank you for your testimony. Thank you for what you did in my life. I thank you for my family. I thank you for prime time. I thank you, Father, for what you showed me through his life and his outstanding ability and skill, Father, how you, you changed my life. You made me aware of your greatness and also for your love for me. So I pray, Father, you will show that love to these people. Show them how much you love them. Give them opportunities, Father, to be thrilled. I pray, Father, that their lives will be an adventure, not a job and not a circumstance. I thank you, Father, you'll let them be overcomers and that they'll be conquerors. And they'll overcome and they will walk by faith and not by sight. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless y'all. Thank you for listening. We are so glad that you chose to tune in with us this week. We hope that today's message left you challenged, encouraged, and inspired. If you enjoyed today's message and would like to hear more, you can find us wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts, as well as on YouTube. Thanks again for listening to the DCC Sermon Podcast.